1971 in the Church Bibles and 1510 in the Large Print Bibles. Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to be this evening from verses 7 to 12. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 12. I became a Christian when I was 11 years old. And I became a Christian uh, at a moment uh, where... I was learning uh, a lesson, or after rather, a lesson about prayer. When I was 11 years old, uh, my Sunday school teacher uh, was teaching about prayer. She was uh, talking about the, this verse we're going to look at tonight, ask and it will be given to you, and so on. And she, I remember the lesson had uh, traffic lights in it, in that sometimes uh, said God says uh, yes, sometimes wait, sometimes no. Uh, and I remember my teacher telling me that we can pray to our Heavenly Father and he answers our prayers. And as an 11-year-old, I thought this sounded amazing. I thought, wow, a Father who can answer our prayers. And after uh, that lesson, I went up to the teacher and I said, I want to be able to access prayer. I want to have access to this Father of which you're talking about. And she told me, well, in order to be able to have access to the Father, you need to be part of And then she shared with me uh, beautifully uh, the way that Jesus has died for our sins and has risen again, and that through forgiveness of my sins, because of his death on the cross, I could be part of the family and have access to our Father in heaven. Now, if I was to continue my testimony... I wish I could tell you that since then, all my prayers have been answered. I wish I could tell you that every time I've asked for something from God, I've got it like that. But of course, that is not true. And for some of you, your experience may be quite opposite, it seems, to the very words that we are going to read this evening and that we read in Luke's Gospel. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock and the door will be open to you. And you might be there thinking, well, I've asked, I've sought, I've knocked, and yet I haven't been healed. Or I've I've been praying for a spouse and I've never been married. I've been praying for a child and it hasn't arrived. I've been praying for my family to come to know Jesus. And they haven't come to know Jesus. I've prayed for some members of my family to come to know Jesus, and now they've died. Is it true, these verses, or is Jesus selling us a false promise? Well, obviously I'm going to say no. He's not selling us a false promise. But we do have to work and think to understand what he's saying here minds that the scripture also shows times when people haven't received and found or had the door. Jesus himself prayed three times in the Garden of Gethsemane for the cup to pass from him and it wasn't passed from him. He died on the cross. 
Paul the Apostle, we looked at a few weeks back, asked that the thorn in the flesh be taken from him. He prayed numerous times and God did not take the thorn but said, my grace is sufficient for you. Is the scripture contradicting? Is it saying one thing here and another thing there? No. The scripture doesn't contradict, but it teaches different aspects regarding prayer. And to understand this teaching that Jesus is speaking of tonight, then we need to look at the context in where these words are found. If we just pull these verses out of scripture and put them on a poster and put them on our wall and then look at them, and that's not a bad thing to do necessarily, but look at them and think, therefore, because Jesus has said this, he has to give me everything I ask for, then we're taking it out of where it is in the Bible and not looking at what is around it to understand. And these verses are found in Matthew chapter 7. Notice what has come immediately before verse 7. We looked at this uh, two weeks ago. Uh, Verse 6, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. And in that passage, we looked at the fact that Jesus tells us not to judge harshly, but also Jesus says we must judge in another kind of way. In verse 6, we must judge when we're sharing the gospel wisely. We must share it wisely. Sometimes we need to stop a conversation. Sometimes we need to pursue a conversation. We need wisdom on this. And you may have got to the end of verse 6 and been wondering, well, how do I know? Jesus says, ask. You see? Back to James chapter 1 and verse 5. We read, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. It talks about God generously giving. But more than linking it just to judging, I think this links really to the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. If we take this verse about asking right out of the Sermon on the Mount, we misunderstand some of what the force of what is being said. Jesus is about to sum up what he's been saying throughout the sermon from chapter 5. If you want to flick back to chapter 5, you can and just kind of follow this through. But from chapter 5, we've had the Beatitudes. This is the characteristics of what a Christian is. Then we've been talking about salt and light and the distinctive influence a Christian ought to have in the world around us. Jesus then goes on to talk about the law. Do you remember how he talks about not abolishing the law but fulfilling it? And then showing us how it's deeper than we think. So, murder includes anger. Adultery includes looking lustfully at somebody. Marriage is is way more radical than the culture around us. Telling the truth is simply yes and no and must be all the time. He talks of no revenge. He talks of loving even our enemies. And then in chapter 6 he says, if you do your righteous acts, do them before God and not before others. Not showing off. He tells us in chapter 6 not to lay up earthly treasures, but lay up treasures in heaven. He tells us, don't be anxious, don't don't worry. And then in chapter 7, he tells us not to judge harshly, 
but to judge humbly. And we hear all of this and you feel the weight of what Jesus is asking us to do. And these are not just words for us to admire. These are words that Jesus wants us to follow. This is the manifesto of the Messiah. This is how Jesus wants us to live in his kingdom. And we read all of that and then we get to chapter 7 verse 7. And if you read all of the Sermon on the Mount up to chapter 7 verse 6, and you get to verse 7, and you read, ask and it will be given to you, and you think, oh great, that means I can ask for a Ferrari, and I'll get it, or I'm going to ask that Plymouth Argyle don't get relegated this season, and I might, it might happen. You haven't got the Sermon on the Mount. You haven't got it. If you get to verse 7, and you've read all of that, what should our response be? Help me, Lord. Help me to live this way. Who is sufficient for these things? You see, the Sermon on the Mount is supposed to drive us to Christ in desperation. It causes us to be poor in spirit. To say, God, I can't do this. I need a Savior. But it's also supposed to be lived out. We're supposed to do what Jesus says. And we might think, well, how is it even possible to do what Jesus says here? The standard is so high, Jesus says, ask. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. You see, these verses ask for help. Not just in material things. we, we, We can apply this to material things too and we will look at that. But the important thing here is to recognize the need we have for help to live out the Sermon on the Mount. Because this stuff is hard, isn't it? Every week we feel the weight of what Jesus has said. We think, this is so hard. Jesus says, ask me then. Ask for help. You see, prayer is not all about the miraculous. It's not all about receiving uh, miraculous gifts from heaven Prayer is also about holiness. Prayer is about asking God to change us day by day by day. And let me tell you this. I can pray for a, a new family car to fit all the camping stuff in, my, in the back of it, okay? And it can fall from heaven and that would be amazing. But it would be more of a miracle if I could live this out for 24 hours. You know, I'd be more amazed if for 24 hours I wasn't angry or lustful or anxious. That would be way more amazing than if a car fell from heaven that would fit my stuff in the back. Just ask my family. He's interested in the family holiday. But of far more importance is the family holiness, isn't it? And besides, when we're not living for God, prayers are not answered anyway. Now just listen to a few verses. Uh, you don't need to turn to them, but James, uh, John chapter 3 and verse 22. You receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. James chapter 4 and verse 3. Ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So that's asking with a wrong motive. And then Psalm chapter 66 and verse 18. Rather, uh, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear us. 
So we ask for God's help at this point in the Sermon on the Mount because we're bankrupt spiritually. And we come to our Father and Jesus teaches us about praying to our Father. So let's read the verses, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 12. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks find, and the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for, a bre- for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others that you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This is God's word. So this is about our relationship to our Father. The Sermon on the Mount has that as a big theme, especially in chapter 6, the, the, re- the way we relate to our Heavenly Father. And the first thing we see uh, about this relationship with our Father is that our Father wants us to ask. He wants us to ask. The Sermon on the Mount is about living in God's kingdom. We need help. And Jesus says, so ask. The most holy of people always are those who are prayerful because they're asking God for his help to live for him and God answers their prayers. That's why prayer should should characterize our life because through prayer we're asking God's help to live for him and God helps us. And so in these uh, first two verses, verses 7 and 8, First of all, see the what, which is to ask. What do we do? We ask. And the New Testament is full of verses telling us to ask. Jesus tells us to ask God all the time. But you may be wondering, or you may not be, but you will be after I say this, that in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 8, Jesus appears to say something which perhaps you might think is opposite. Do not be like them, talking about babbling pagans, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So you may be wondering, well, if if, if our father knows what we need before we ask him, why is he getting us to ask? Well, prayer is not informing God. We're not giving God information. Did you know God? God does know. But rather, prayer is acknowledging dependence upon God. It's giving him the glory for all that we receive. When we pray to God, we're saying to him, God, I need you. God, when I'm provided for, it comes from you. It's acknowledging dependence. God doesn't say when we pray, oh, I didn't know that. Thanks for letting me know. God provides. And we pray in dependence. It's God's ordained way of us receiving from him. And it's for our benefit and his glory that we pray. But more than this, prayer deepens relationship. Imagine a father who you never speak to. Now some of you may know what that means. Some of you may have had the hard uh, lesson in that. But our heavenly father does not want that kind of relationship with us. He doesn't, he's not an absent father. 
He's not a father that doesn't want to hear from his children. Our father wants relationship with us. And so prayer is the ordained way that we relate to God. And if we don't speak to him in prayer, then of course the relationship is going to not be very strong. So asking is the what of this, uh, these verses. But Jesus also gives us the how. And the how is persistence. Notice the progression. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Do you see the progression? Ask, seek, knock. Asking is making the request. Seeking, pressing the request. Knocking, persisting in the request. It's keeping on going. This account, which we read in our Bible reading, we, Jesus teaches this on the back of a parable of an audacious friend that knocks on the door of his friend in the middle of the night for bread. And the friend is irritated that this man has knocked on his door in the middle of the night, as you would be. The man should have had bread in his house, perhaps, to feed whoever comes to visit. Because of his audacity, then the bread is received. Now, Jesus isn't teaching in this parable that God gets really irritated, and if you irritate him enough, he'll give you your daily bread. He's teaching us to be bold and audacious in our prayers to him, and to persist, to knock, and he will answer. And when you link it to holiness, you can see why persistence is important, isn't it? When we pray not to get angry, I don't know, I've never met anybody that prayed, Lord, help me with my anger, or help me with my lust, or help me to love my enemies. I've never met anybody that has had an instant 100% answer so that they never anymore, no longer, get angry or lust and they always love their enemies perfectly. Body, of course not. And so we keep asking, we keep not seeking, we keep knocking daily, asking us, Lord, make me more like Jesus. Make me more like Jesus. Lord, I'm struggling here. I'm, I can't. I'm, I'm, I failed there. Make me more like Jesus. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. And you know what will happen over time? We become more and more like Jesus. Because in verse 8, Jesus says, For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. To the one who knocks, the door will be opened. That promise there is, is repeated. And the way that you could read it is to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Because, friends, we're never going to be at the stage in our Christian lives, this side of heaven, where we can read the Sermon on the Mount and think, I've got that down. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. So Jesus repeats the promise in verse 8, but he expands the promise in verse 9. Not only will our Father answer our prayers as we ask, but secondly, our Father gives good gifts. Our Father gives good gifts. Jesus uses a familiar illustration of a a parent and a child. A child going to his father and asking for the most simple of things, bread and fish. Bread and fish in uh, this time was the staple diet 
They weren't going asking for a one kilogram dairy milk bar. They were just asking for very basic things, bread and fish. And in these days, uh, the stones that Jesus was talking about uh, would have looked a little bit like loaves of bread, like loaves of bread. And Jesus says, well, what father, child is hungry, would give them uh, a stone that looks like a piece of bread to feed them? Or Jesus talks about the snake, which either, uh, there's disagreement on this, it doesn't really matter all that much, but either is an, it could be an eel from the lake, which would be unclean, or it could be an actual snake, which would be harmful. Either way, if your son asks you for a fish, you're not going to give them either an eel or a snake. They're not going to give something that would defile them or damage them. They would be given their basic needs. That's the point here. And a father knows how to provide necessities. If our children ask us for food, we know what to do, don't we? But even, Jesus says, the best fathers are evil. He says, you, though you are evil, there in verse 11. If you then, though you are evil. Now that may offend some of you. Fine, if you're offended by that, but this is what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about uh, what's called original sin. That is, from the time of Adam onwards, every person born was born a sinner. It's passed on. The way, best way of uh, describing this is you don't have to teach children how to do wrong. They figure it out all by themselves, don't they? You teach them to do what's right, of course. That's original sin. Everybody is born sinful. And in God's sight, who is perfectly holy, all people, therefore, are evil. It doesn't mean that everything we do is evil. It doesn't mean that uh, we never can do anything good at all. But it does mean that everything we do is in some way tainted by the evil that is within us. We're not perfect. Nobody is. And in God's uh, declaration, we are evil, which is why we need a saviour, which is why he sent Jesus to pay for our sin, to die in our place on the cross, to take that evil from us and credit us with what his righteousness so that God then declares us not evil, but right. But even the, an evil father, even a father, um, there's varying degrees of it, could be very or not very, it doesn't matter, but even the most evil of fathers knows how to give good gifts, even if they don't, but all of us know how to provide for our children. But God is God is perfect. And so how much more, you see how Jesus is arguing now, how much more does our Heavenly Father know how to provide for us? Well, this encourages us in, in two, uh, two ways. First of all, it encourages us in the knowledge that we know we will receive good gifts from God. We know we will receive good gifts from God. But that leaves the question, though, what is a good gift? What is a good gift? Well, in the Sermon on the Mount here, a good gift is the kingdom characteristics that Jesus has been talking about. If God grants us uh, the grace to, to live this out, that is a good gift. 
A good gift is the necessities of life, the bread and the fish. God is glad to give us what we need as well. That's a good gift, isn't it? When we, uh, m- m- most Christian households, as they sit together to eat, what do we do before we eat? We pray and give thanks for the food we're about to receive because it's a good gift, isn't it, from our Father in heaven. But in the passage we read in Luke chapter 11, Luke narrows the good gift down. He says, the Father gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So he says that the good gift is the Holy Spirit. And the truth is that the best gift that God can give is himself, which is the Holy Spirit of God, isn't it? Think for a moment. What do you pray for? You pray for wisdom. And God sends the spirit of wisdom. You pray for comfort. The Holy Spirit is called the comforter. You pray for understanding. And the Holy Spirit, we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, opens our eyes to the truth. We pray for guidance. The Holy Spirit's our guide. We pray for growth. The Holy Spirit gives us the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on. Even in the Lord's Prayer, the Holy Spirit's the one that answers those things. If we pray to hallow God's name, the Holy Spirit shows us God and points people to God. If we pray for his kingdom to come, the Holy Spirit convicts of sin and points them to the Saviour, Jesus. When we pray for God's will to be done, it's the Spirit that reveals it to us and enables us to live it out. When we pray for daily bread... The Spirit provides us with either work or the Spirit prompts other people to help us in our need. In just in praying for forgiveness of sin, the Holy Spirit is convicting us of that sin that we might ask for the forgiveness. When we pray to lead us not into temptation, it's the Spirit that guides us in the right paths that we should go. God gives us good gifts. But the best gift is himself. So the first encouragement there is God, we know God gives good gifts. But the second encouragement is that God knows what makes a good gift good. And it doesn't always marry up with ours, does it? And this is a good thing. If God only gives good gifts, then he won't give a gift that we ask for when it's not good. I mean, imagine what life would be like if God gave you everything you asked for. It would be a disaster, wouldn't it? I mean, we know how that would work with our children. If our, ch- if our children come and they ask us, and every time they ask, we give them anything they want, most of our children would probably be dead. Any parent knows that they have to say no sometimes, don't they? I mean, in Jesus' illustration, imagine... Uh, if, if the child comes and they says, Father, can I have a snake? The father's going to say no, isn't he? He's not going to say, well, yeah, they... Or if he says, I want a stone because I'm going to start eating it. Of course the father's going to say no. Of course you can't have a stone to eat. Sometimes for our good, a good gift is not receiving it. Here's a, a quote from... Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his uh, some words on this passage uh, of, a, of his testimony, I'm gonna, I've got it on the screen and I'll read it to you. 
Uh, I thank God that he is not prepared to do anything that I may chance to ask him. And I say that as the result of my past experience, in my past life, I, like all of asked God for things, and I've asked God to do things which at the time I wanted very much and which I believed were the very best things for me. But now, standing at this particular juncture in my life and looking back, I say that I am profoundly grateful to God that he did not grant me certain things for which I asked, and he shut certain doors in my face. At the time, I did not understand, but I know now, and am grateful to God for it. That is all of our testimonies, I have no doubt, that when we look back and, uh, in, in, over years and we've seen God say no to things, we have seen that God has always done what is best. Sometimes we even don't understand still what God has done. But here we see that God has only ever done what is for our good. And in this, we have to trust God that he not only is uh, more good than any earthly father, but he is also more wise than any earthly father. John Stott says, being good, our heavenly father gives only good gifts to his children. Being wise as well, he knows which gifts are good and which are not. We have a good and generous Heavenly Father who provides for our needs and delivers us even from ourselves. And of course, the greatest gift that God has given us is Jesus Christ, who has given us the gift of eternal life. When we ask him to forgive our sins, we always receive because he has died for those sins and paid the price in full that we can have eternal life. That's the greatest gift, isn't it? Ask him to forgive your sins, to make you part of his family. Ask him and you shall receive. As we seek God, we will find him. As we knock on that door, he will answer it. It's the greatest gift. And having been so abundantly blessed with salvation and so many other things, we're called to show that same generosity to others. And that's where verse 12 comes in. It might appear to be a bit disjointed from the passage we've just read, but verse 12 is part of it. We know that from the very first word in verse 12. Look at it. It says, so. It's a bit like because. Your father is a good father. Your father gives good gifts. So, you ought to treat others well as also. And we see then in verse 12, the so is what's called the golden rule. The golden rule. And the point of the golden rule, that like our father is so generous to us, our father has generous children. That's the third uh, point here. Our father has generous children. You see, verse 12 is not isolated from what has gone before, but rather it's the outworking of one who has received and found and had the door opened. But it's also another verse where we come back to verse 7 and say, God, help me. Look at verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do for you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. 
Verse 12 is a, a definition of what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. If you were to ask, what does that mean? We come to verse 12. It means do to others what you would have them do to you. You know, the negative form of this verse is, is found in all sorts of religions and philosophies. The negative form is uh, used by us when we say, how would you like it if such and such happened? How would you like it if they did that to you? It's easy to fulfill the negative part, which is don't do to others what you wouldn't want done to yourself. If I don't want to be burgled, I won't burgle anybody then. I don't want to be punched, so I won't punch anybody. I don't want to be called names, so I won't call anybody names. But the thing is, I can fulfill all of those things by sitting at home and doing nothing. If I never left my house, I would not treat anybody really badly, perhaps, and I'd be fulfilling that command, wouldn't I? It doesn't take much effort to not do something that you wouldn't want want doing to yourself. We can live in a total self-absorbed world all on our own and fulfill the negative part of this command. But the hard thing with verse 12 and what makes it so difficult is it means we have to do something. So I enjoy being loved. So I have to love others actively. I enjoy being appreciated. So I have to appreciate others. I enjoy receiving. So I have to give generously. If I need help, I want to get help if I'm in need. And therefore, when I see someone else in need, I must actively help them. Do you see how much harder it is to do what Jesus is saying here? And notice the scope. In everything, in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. In everything, all that you do, in every way you treat other people, in everything, do to them as you would want them to do. I don't know about you, but I look at this verse and I think, my goodness me, it's impossible, isn't it? And so we come to verse 7 and we ask God for help. Ask and it will be given to you. So I, we ask, Lord, help me to love as I would want to be loved. Help me, Lord, to be generous, as I would want people to be generous to me. Help me, Lord, to help those that I see in need, as I would want to be helped. Help me, Lord, and as we ask, God gives us the help. As we seek, we find. As we knock, the door is opened for us. Jesus says in verse 12 that this sums up the law and the prophets. In chapter 5 and verse 17, he begins... Uh, or began there expounding the law and the prophets as he talks about fulfilling it. And if you like, this is the, this is the bookend. He begins there expounding the law. He has the bookend at the other end here in chapter 7 verse 12. In summary, this is what I mean. Do to others as you would have them do to you. All of the Sermon on the Mount that we've seen so far impacts other people, doesn't it? Impacts how we treat others. And here Jesus sums it up. He's not saying ignore what's gone before, but he says in summary, in everything. He's given examples in the Sermon on the Mount, especially regarding the law. He hasn't given the whole law. He's given examples. But here he says in summary, do everything. 
in everything. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And so in, in, in applying this, we need to think through, don't we, how we treat other people. How is our treatment of others compared with what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12? How is how I treat others compared with what Jesus has said from Matthew chapter 5 all the way through to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12? How, how is my treatment of others in regard to anger and lust and my spouse and oaths and all those things and judging? How is my treatment of others? Think practically. What needs to change? We're about to have the, the Lord's table. And before we come to that, before we sing, uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that before we come to the table, we need to examine ourselves. I think having looked at these verses, especially at the end there in verse 12, it's an appropriate point, isn't it, that we can examine ourselves. Let's take uh, a few minutes in quiet just to think. Think how we're treating other people. Is it, is it anything like what Jesus is saying here? Let's examine our hearts in silent prayer. Let's ask for God's forgiveness and we'll receive it. Let's ask for God's help. We'll receive that too. And then as forgiven sinners, let's sing together. So let's just be quiet for a moment, examine ourselves, think how we need to change, and then we'll be ready to sing and come to the Lord's table.